0: help us kick off this week's sermon. Uh, We just sing, let us praise God together, let us seek God together, let us serve God together. It doesn't say, let us do those things simply as individuals. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1-16. through The Scripture reads, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also uh, descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, as we are reading this passage that uh, tells us how uh, You have designed the church, how it is to function, in order that we might grow in our Christian maturity. So I pray that You would be our teacher, that You would fill us with Your one Spirit, and that um, You would enlighten our eyes, enlighten our hearts, that we might not only see, but also believe and obey Your Word. For we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So, this morning I want to ask you, how do you measure Christian maturity? What does Christian maturity look like? How can you know if you are maturing as a Christian? It seems to me that these are some pretty good questions for us to uh, be asking ourselves. Uh, Last Sunday I said that you cannot mature as a Christian while living in isolation from other believers. Actually, I was more specific than that. I said that a Christian cannot grow in Christian maturity while not participating in the church, in the body of Christ. Spiritual growth is a group effort. It takes full participation from the whole body for the whole church to mature. We need each other um, in order to be able for us to grow in Christian maturity. We read last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that spiritual gifts are for the common good. This morning in our responsive reading, uh, we read from the second half of 1 Corinthians 12, and it said that God gives a variety of gifts for the edification of the whole body. And the weaker parts of the body are to receive the greater honor. Uh, I was, I can't remember if I was teaching or preaching on this um, years ago at my last church, and uh, someone came up to me afterwards and they said, So, what this means is that your spiritual gift is not for yourself. I thought that's exactly what that means. Your spiritual gift is for the blessings of other people. Your spiritual gift is for the blessing of the church. Um, you know, I think we we tend to think am I being too harsh self centeredly about our spiritual gifts our spiritual gifts are intended for the whole. Um, Several thoughts, but I'm going to resist several of those thoughts. I'll probably get the questions afterwards that I'm thinking that you're probably thinking about. Um, But I'm going to press forward and I'll just answer the questions afterwards. Um, I'm going to ask this question. Why are those who for whatever reason um, are considered weaker given the greater honor. Paul says those in the body who are considered weaker are given the greater honor. Why is that the case? Well, Paul says the weaker are given the greater honor in order that we might be a seamless whole. If we have people up here and we have people down here and we have someone else over here. We're not a, a seamless whole. Paul says that the the members of our body that are considered weaker or less honorable are given the greater honor. We read it in our responsive reading as we talked about the um, as the Apostle Paul mentioned these things. But he but what he's aiming at. What Paul is saying is that it is God's intention that we be a seamless whole, that we be one body. And the ideal of the unified body of Christ is very important to Paul. In fact, he went on to say, as we read in our responsive reading, if one part suffers, then the whole body suffers. We don't tend to think about that about the church in that way, that if one part's suffering, we're all suffering along with them. and he went on to say, if one part's blessed, the whole church is blessed along with them. Such was his view of the church being a unified whole. and Paul is no less insistent in making this point in Ephesians four. Listen again to Ephesians four verses one through six. We dealt with with part of this passage very specifically and but in an individual manner, uh, directing it to individuals. Here this week, I want to remind you of it again, but I want to do so within the context of us as a whole body. He says here in chapter four verses one through six, "I therefore a prisoner for the Lord." urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does that mean? How can we walk in a manner worthy um, of our calling that the Lord has given us? Well, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then to underscore this, this is Paul's highlighter or his exclamation point. Um, He says, there is one body, one spirit. You are also called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You are one body. You have received one spirit. I guess I should say we, because I'm part of it. We We are one body. We have received one spirit. We all share the same hope we all have received the same call to follow the Lord Jesus. we all share the same faith we are all baptized with one baptism we all in the um, we all in the church worship the one true God. therefore, how should you walk verses one through three um, I want to make these applications to the whole body. I want you to know, notice here in verses uh, 1 through 3 that your growth and maturity is measured how you conduct yourself in the whole congregation. Verses 2 and 3 give some very specific topics for obedience. You are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, how are you to walk? In all humility, not in mixed humility, in all humility, and implied also all gentleness. In fact, it is impossible for you to be obedient to this command when you're all by yourself. Why would I say that? That it would be impossible for you to obey this command, to walk in all humility and gentleness. If you're all, let's say you're at home all by yourself, impossible to obey this command. Well, the reason is because humility and gentleness has reference to how you treat others. The same holds true for the other topics uh, in these verses. You have to be around other people in order to patiently bear with one another in love. And you need more than one person to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is specifically telling us how we are to treat each other in the church. Even though it has applications for how we treat each other outside the church, like in the home, in the workplace, in school, we made some of those uh, applications last uh, last week, but he's specifically saying how we are to treat each other in the church. I mean, this kind of congregational lifestyle is not easy to develop or maintain. We're all sinners, or as Paul said in uh, in our our call to worship, we are all the chief of sinners. That means we all have a tendency to seek our own interest above others. We tend to become impatient with others because we think too highly of ourselves. Well, if I was doing it, I could do it better, or I'd do it quicker. We instinctively know that we can get our own way more often if we exert our will with a loud or an angry uh, tone rather than with gentleness. That's why terms like church politics or guilt manipulation are often used to describe how things get done in church. Because we're sinners and we dispense with God's commands to be humble, to be gentle, to bear with one another in love, to maintain the, the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because we know that we can be more efficient to get what we want if we just use a little manipulation or a little coercion. Those things cannot be tolerated in the church that wants to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received from Jesus Christ. To the extent that we are self-seeking or impatient or unwilling to bear with one another in love, we are bringing shame to the name of Christ. Churches do not do a, a very good job, typically, of developing a congregational lifestyle that honors the Lord. Uh, churches, in fact, are increasingly moving from a biblical model for how they are to function to a very intentional business model for how they function. Uh, the contemporary model says that the pastor functions as a CEO of the church and he oversees the development and various programs that are designed to meet, to meet people's felt needs. And this model simply feeds um people's appetite to serve themselves or to feed themselves uh in pastoral circles we talk about uh, or we joke around about buying, being able to buy a, a whole church in a box and it's it's literally true you can go down to the christian bookstore buy a big box in the box has many manuals it tells you step by step how to set up this program, how many people you need, volunteers for this program, and then it tells you about this program, how many people you need, um, what the job description of each person is in, in the program. And, and in this box, you can have a whole church, a whole program there. And uh, you can hire an assistant pastor to, to, to do the stuff, or you can have, um, have different people tasked and you you put these programs together and then you draw all the people in and uh, you measure your success by how many people are coming in and how well-run the programs are, Uh, barely slowing down to even consider what does it mean to grow in Christian maturity? Um, And in that model really what's most important is how well-managed the programs uh, are. And certainly the skills of management and administration are important Um, for the spiritual growth and maturity of a congregation. uh, I'm not downplaying the need for those things, but Paul says there's something even more important that God gives us to help us grow in Christian maturity. I've already been discussing one aspect uh the aspect of of being understanding and acting as a body of Christ, as a unified body, but there's even something else that God gives us. And in a manner of speaking, this thing that God gives us we can say also comes in a box. Uh, what would it be that God gives us in a box that would be so important to our Christian maturity? Look at verse seven in um, in Ephesians chapter four. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is the grace that Christ has given us? Because it says um, that, but grace was given to each one of us. Well, the grace here that he that Paul's talking about are the spiritual gifts that He's given to each believer. In fact, verse 8 confirms this. Verse 8, therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host uh, of captives and He gave gifts to men. So what we're talking about here is gifts. Now, we just finished Christmas. Um, The children probably haven't even uh, had time yet to uh, grow bored with the toys they've received. And All of us received gifts. What did the gifts typically uh, come packaged in? Well, they were wrapped with gift wrapping, and most of our gifts came in boxes. So I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek when I ask, what is it that God gives us um, for Christian maturity that also comes in a box? Um, What God gives us are spiritual gifts that come gift-wrapped in the blood-red love of Jesus Christ. And there's an unexpected twist here that I want you to see. Uh, In verse 7, Paul mentions gifts that are given to individual believers for the common good, just like we read about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. But in verse 11, he specifically is talking about individuals who have been given as gifts For the church. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, in terms of the context of the gift and what he's giving, well, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, God gave officers to the church. Um, now, two of these offices have passed out of existence. The first two, the, um, the office of apostle and the office of prophet, they had a foundational function for the church. They were necessar- necessary until the New Testament was completed. How do I know that they were foundational for the church? Well, that's what the Bible tells us. Look over at, chapter, at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, <clears throat> I threw in verses 21 and 22 just to illustrate how, con- how important this concept of the body is to the Apostle Paul because what we've been reading in chapter 4, um, you see here in chapter 2 as well. Now back to chapter 4, verse 11. We still have evangelists. We have church planners. We have missionaries. They serve as evangelists. Uh, in a manner of speaking, we also have, um, shepherds and teachers, or some of your Bibles have it hyphenated shepherds, teachers, or pastor, teachers. Um, this would be our ruling elders and, uh, pastors. Uh, so, in what I guess I'm saying is, is that the Bible says that as your pastor, I am a gift given to this congregation. Um, that's a very worrisome concept to me, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, for years I've prayed and continue to still pray, um, Lord, when the congregation unwraps me, let me, let me not be a jack in the box. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I have in my mind's eye this picture of, of, of me being this, Jack in the Box with a kind of evil look on my face and surprising everyone. And I just, Lord, spare your people um, and uh, spare me. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a a congregational meeting. You've had um, uh, inserts in your bulletins the last several weeks about this. Uh, We've got a couple of our uh, ruling elders who have already been... um, Ordained uh, Jim Eggert and Joe Bethany that are going to uh, be before you to be um, uh, voted on for um, serving on the session, uh, but we also have a couple of men, um, William Matthew and Bill Peck. I believe Bill Peck is already he's not here this morning. Um, in fact, that reminds me he he and I have been talking and he asked uh, the congregation to pray for uh, Chanel um uh Rita's daughter, and uh she's just been going through a hard time, and he asked that we would uh pray for her. but uh he has been previous Lord, previously ordained as a deacon, but william matthew well he's not here either um but he is uh gonna be both of these men are gonna be before you to um for a deacon uh for you to vote upon them and uh looking forward to to uh, Williams uh, ordination, Lord willing, both Bill and William gave a super exam, so I just wanted to give you an update that in a couple of weeks that uh, they will, those men will be before you. Um, and I believe, as men who have been gift wrapped in heaven by Christ for this congregation, now why has God given? Men to the church for their spiritual growth. Well, verses 11 through 14. I'm sorry, verse, I'm just going to pick up with verse 12 since it, uh, verse 11 listed the, the gifts of the officers. Verse 12, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, Officers, these gifts to the church are given uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In a couple of in a couple of months, we're going to return to this passage. I want to give the newer elders, are the returning elders. I want the new session, a couple couple of months to talk through uh, a couple of things that we, that the session's already been talking about. Um, and then bring this this passage back up. So we'll um, parenthesis. The sermon stops for a second or two for housekeeping. I'm going to Genesis next week and for the next um, month or so uh, or maybe two months till I feel comfortable that uh, the session is all of one mind. And then I will bring this passage uh, from Ephesians 4 back up for us to consider. And we will look specifically at verses twelve through fourteen. But just very briefly, it says here that God gave these these gifted men, these gifted these offices, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so they are to train. The the, the literal sense of the Greek is to train Uh, the congregation in order that the the congregation might be busy about the work of the kingdom. I noted that Joe prayed um, in his prayer for exactly that. And so the idea is that the whole body, because we need each other in the body, is going to be busy serving Christ, serving each other. And in so doing, because we're going to be busy Verse 12 goes on to say that, that the congregation, the individuals in the congregation, which will result in the whole congregation um, build, being built up, that the body of Christ might be built up. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then he says, well, what will that look like? Well, it will be mature manhood, he says, and it will um, result in what we talked about last week that was so mind-boggling, the fullness of Christ. And then there's also this goal. Um, well, I'm going to wait on that. i want to ask, how do we get there? Um, well, that's what we'll be talking about in a couple of months. What will it look like Um, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. For years I read this and I thought, well, what this is telling us is that everybody in the church needs to know their theology. And I was looking at it over the last couple of weeks and I realized, you know, as even though we could all stand to grow in our knowledge of theology, the, the, um, the ways that we are tossed about to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, is really just by the, the current worldview, the current culture that we live in. Our minds are continually filled with the world. We've been talking about it in Sunday school, about how we live between um, the already and the not yet, and what God is doing in the meantime. Um, Let me ask you, are you tossed here and there by a worldly worldview? Does your mind get pulled away from Christ because you're being pulled by the world. Or you become numb to the things of God because the the things of the world have captured your attention. The Apostle Paul says, if that's happening in your life, then you're being tossed to and fro like a like a child who is uh, wandered out into into uh, the waves that are breaking in onto the shore and are unable to stand up, and so in one way, if we are growing in our Christian maturity, we'll become less tossed here and there by every by every wind of teaching, by every deceitful scheme. We'll become more grounded in the knowledge of Christ. But secondly, there will be this love that pervades the congregation. That pervades not only the congregation, but also outside the congregation because we are called not only to love each other, and we are called also to consider each other better than ourselves, consider each other's needs before ourselves, but we're also called to love our enemies. You know, last week, as I was finishing up, I purposely left off this last little phrase in verse sixteen. It talks about the body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I didn't leave, I left off those last two words in love. And I was wondering if anybody was going to call me on it, but the reason I did is because I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um this morning. Jesus says, everyone will know you are My disciples by the big cross up on the steeple. Is that what the Bible says? No. He says, everyone will know that you are My disciples by your love one for another. How do you know if you're growing in Christian maturity? Are you growing in love one for another? For another. Now, this is not easy. Remember, we're sinners. And if we're going to be busy together as a congregation, serving Christ and serving each other, we're going to be rubbing up against each other. We're going to be bumping up against each other. Or as Paul says, we're all the chief of sinners. Therefore, we're going to be splashing mud on each other. And it's going to get ugly sometimes. Paul says, the way the body works is in love. He goes, verse 15, "...rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Um, I played basketball in college. I was a walk-on senior. Uh, the basketball team actually asked me to come out and play. Horrible shot. I could not. I, I, very poor um, at shooting the basketball. But it was one thing I could do that made me stand out. I could jump out of the gym. Um, I could dunk since I was in eighth grade. And so because I could dunk, I dunked. And I played on concrete, I played in gyms, I played anywhere there was a basketball and I jumped. Consequently now there's no cartilage left in my knees. It is bone on bone. I want to go out and, and jog sometimes and my knees get to hurting so bad before I can even build up uh any any respiratory um pain that would would actually be beneficial for me. I know some of you struggle with arthritis. And it's bone on bone. Any movement is painful. Um, We in the church, as we move against each other, it's going to be painful from time to time. But Paul says here that as the joints are moving... There's something there that keeps the bone on bone from rubbing. It acts as a buffer. You know what that is? It's love. Uh, Some of my friends who have bad knees, you know what they've told me? Is that the doctors have found out that you can take with a rooster in their little crop, that little floppy thing on top of their head? You know what I'm talking about? And they inject it out of the crop and can inject it in into uh, where you have bone on bone. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to that one day. Um, and uh, but that it, it puts a buffer there, and that's what love does, or. Well, Larry Gillespie, he's not here today, is he? You know, he's our mechanic in the church. If you have car problems and you're new to the church, Larry Gillespie is the person you ought to go see. Well, anyway, he would tell you that all these gears, all this metal working against each other, what's it going to do? It's going to end up seizing up, cause friction. But you put something in between all those gears. You put oil there and it makes all that metal that works It it makes it work beautifully. Um, That's what love does in the congregation. It makes all us sinners to be able to work together, to, to put up with each other, to get splashed with each other's muddy sin and continue to love them anyway and serve them selflessly. So, We've been talking about Christian maturity. Let me ask you, how are you doing in your Christian maturity? Are you growing? Or are you being tossed here and there by our culture? Being pulled by our culture like you have a hook in your nose? Let me ask you this, how are you doing in your love life? In your love one for another. And your love for those who have sinned against you. Your love even for your enemies. Those are two really good measures to help you know how you're doing in your walk with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have given us one Spirit who helps us to love who helps us to die to ourselves, who helps us to consider others more important than ourselves, so that we are one seamless body. God, I pray that You would help build us as a congregation into this beautiful model that You have given us in the Scriptures. Christ died for the church. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of Him.